Hey everyone, this is Pedro Chung, and welcome to Bible Sumo Weekly, a Bible study podcast for everyday Christians. We are continuing our series in the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. Today's episode title, Joseph Tempted by Potiphar's Wife. We are now in Genesis chapter 39, and it continues where we left off at the end of Genesis chapter 37. You remember in chapter 37 that we learn about Joseph's special status as Rachel's firstborn son. And we see his father Jacob showing favoritism toward him through the gift of the multicolored robe. We see Joseph's brothers grow in their hatred toward him. And when Joseph shared his two divine dreams to his brothers, that further enraged his brothers. We then learn that Jacob sends Joseph to Shechem to get a report on his brothers. But when he gets there, Joseph's brothers ambush him and they sold him to the Midianite traders in slavery. And we see Jacob grieving when Joseph's brothers return without Joseph. And remember at the end of Genesis chapter 37, it reads, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him, that is Joseph, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now, before we begin Genesis chapter 39, I want to spend a few minutes reviewing some background information about ancient Egypt during the time of Joseph. First, let's note that Egypt first becomes a nation probably a little bit before 3000 BC. And Egypt had become a large successful kingdom for over a thousand years before Joseph's arrival. There were probably at least 30 Egyptian dynasties before Egypt was finally conquered by the Greeks and Alexander the Great. Now, let me go over the timeline, or at least the early timeline of Egypt. When Egypt first became a nation, we call that first period the early dynastic period. And this is probably between 3050 BC and 2686 BC. After the early dynastic period uh, comes a period of time that is often referred to as the Old Kingdom. And this refers to the third to the sixth dynasty. And this takes place around 2686 BC to 2181 BC. And it's during the time of the Old Kingdom that the pyramids of Giza and the Great Sphinx were constructed. The next period is referred to as the First Intermediate Period, and this is around 2181 BC to 2055 BC. And it was during this period where Egypt was divided between two competing powers in Lower Egypt and Upper Egypt. And when these two powers came into conflict, it led to the conquest of Lower Egypt by the Theban kings in Upper Egypt, and it brought the reunification of Egypt under a single ruler during the second part of the 11th dynasty. The next period is referred to as the Middle Kingdom. And this Middle Kingdom is around 2055 BC to 1650 BC. And it is the 12th dynasty that was the most powerful and it lasted between 1991 BC and 1802 BC. After the 13th dynasty had ended, Egypt again became divided, 
which leads to the second intermediate period. And it's the second intermediate period that takes place between 1650 BC and 1550 BC. And it's during this time that the Hyksos people, they entered Egypt. Um, they actually entered Egypt around 1730 BC, but they gained full control of Egypt around 1680 BC. And the 15th dynasty of Egypt was the first Hyksos dynasty. If we accept an early dating, which is what I personally do, then Joseph and his family likely entered Egypt during the Middle Kingdom and the powerful 12th dynasty. While others that hold to a late dating, they will place Joseph entering Egypt during the second intermediate period when the Hyksos people were in power. Now, I had mentioned to you that Egypt had been a powerful, wealthy nation for over a thousand years before Joseph arrived in Egypt. And this great wealth and power were especially prominent during the 12th dynasty. Now, the land of Egypt was extremely fertile, and it was due to the Nile River. And with annual floodwaters, it brought rich topsoil to the valley and the delta. Egypt depended greatly on the Nile River, and the country was actually rather long and narrow because most of the people living in Egypt would live within a few miles from the Nile River banks. The land of Goshen was east of the river delta, and the delta region was called Lower Egypt, and the area south was called Upper Egypt. The term lower and upper refer to their elevation. And so in the south area, which was higher, it is where the Nile flows from the south to the north, which was at a lower elevation. The land of Egypt was rich in natural resources. There were plenty of animals for food. So there were fish, birds, plenty of game. Uh, there were several variety of papyrus plants for fiber to be used for paper and parchment. They had fine mud that could be used for clay limestone for masonry, and Egypt also had other natural resources such as copper and gold. And in addition to their land, which was rich in natural resources, Egypt also had no neighboring enemies, and they were protected naturally by the surrounding desert. So with no nearby enemies, abundant natural resources, Egypt was probably the wealthiest, most powerful nation during the Middle Kingdom in 19th century BC. Now, let's spend a minute or two talking about Egypt's religion. The religion in Egypt could be described as pagan polytheism. Each local community, they had their own gods to whom the people would worship. There were local gods and there were also national gods who were higher in rank. And the gods of Egypt, they were centered on three natural forces, the Nile River, the land, and the cloudless sky with its brilliant sun. Now, during the Old Kingdom, the chief deity was Ra, but in the time of Joseph in the Middle Kingdom, it was Amon. During the time of Joseph, the Egyptians believed in life after death, and they believed that 
what happens to them in the afterlife would be determined based on their works completed in the present life. And like all other religions, the Egyptian religion was works-based. Now, the Egyptian polytheistic paganism, it's not a primitive original religion. This is a degeneration of the true worship of God that originated with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2. So the Egyptians worshipped hundreds of gods, and for the past thousand years, with this worship of hundreds of gods, they had experienced material blessings. Now we'll soon learn that Joseph's character and his trust in the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it would not be compromised living in this pagan culture of Egypt. Now let me briefly review the life of Joseph and the timeline thus far. So Joseph was born in Haran, probably around 1916 BC. And when he was six years old, his father Jacob leaves Haran with their family. And this is probably around 1910 BC. Joseph is sold to slavery when he was 17, around 1899 BC. Joseph is falsely accused and thrown in prison, probably around 1889 BC when he's 27. And Joseph is finally released from prison in the same year that Isaac dies in 1886 BC when Joseph was 30. All right, so I've given you a background of ancient Egypt during the time of Joseph, and we briefly review the early timeline of the life of Joseph. So now let's start with Genesis chapter 39. And we can probably divide this chapter into four sections. The first, Joseph's success in managing Potiphar's house in verses one to six. Joseph's success in resisting temptation in verses 6 through 10. Joseph's success leading to false accusation, verse 11 to 18. And the fourth and final section, Joseph's success continuing in prison, verses 19 to 23. So let's begin this first section, Joseph's success in managing Potiphar's house. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So here in the first six verses, we see that Joseph arrived in Egypt. And Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officers, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites. The Hebrew word Yahweh is used here for God throughout Genesis chapter 39. Remember that the Hebrew word Elohim emphasizes the God of the universe. But 
The term Yahweh, the name Yahweh, emphasizes the personal nature of God. Yahweh was the unseen force directing Joseph's life. Yahweh was with Joseph, and Joseph became successful. Now, remember that at the beginning of Genesis chapter 37, we saw that Joseph was looking after his father's business. He was managing his brothers in their role as shepherds. Now we see that Joseph was managing Potiphar's business. Recognizing that God had caused everything Joseph did to succeed, Potiphar made Joseph his attendant, or head administrator, of all that was done in the house. Potiphar trusted Joseph, and so he put all the details, all the duties, under Joseph's care. And from the time that Potiphar had delegated everything to Joseph's care, God prospered Potiphar. Now, I think this parallels the success that God had given Laban because of Jacob, Joseph's father. You remember that God blessed Laban through Jacob. And these examples even point to God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. Remember, God promised Abraham saying, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, one more historical insight with the ancient Egyptians. The ancient Egyptians had particular dietary practices, and we'll see this again highlighted in Genesis chapter 43, verse 32. So, therefore, some believe that Potiphar did not want Joseph in charge of his food, but he entrusted Joseph with every other aspect of his household management. But others believe that Joseph took such good care of every aspect of Potiphar's life and affairs that all Potiphar really had to concern himself with was what he ate. All right, let's look at the second section of this chapter, Joseph's success in resisting temptation, verses 6 to 10. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. So verse 6 describes Joseph literally well-built and good to look at. Now, both Abraham's wife, Sarah, and Isaac's wife, Rachel, were described this way. But this is the only occurrence in the Pentateuch where these words are used to describe a man, probably because Joseph is the only male in the Pentateuch whose looks or appearance played a major role in his fate. So Joseph's handsome appearance and probably his success, it attracted the attention of Potiphar's wife. And so she begins to lust after him. And she entreated him to go to bed with her, saying, Lie with me. But Joseph refused. 
And he says that Potiphar had entrusted him with everything in the house, with one exception, Potiphar's wife. Now, this temptation reminds me of Genesis 3. Why so? Well, we see that Adam and Eve had been given dominion over everything in the Garden of Eden, with one important exception, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we see here in Genesis 39, likewise, Joseph was given authority and dominion over everything in Potiphar's house, with one exception, Potiphar's wife. Now, typical gender roles here are reversed in this encounter, for it is the woman, Potiphar's wife, it was she who was the person in the position of power and the one who sought inappropriate sexual advances and sexual relations, while the man, Joseph, was the one who was particularly good-looking in the vulnerable position and the one who says no. It is often difficult for a man to resist a woman's invitation to be with her. And we see here that Joseph, in fact, does resist, and he provides three reasons for refusing Potiphar's wife's advances. One, he did not want to betray his generous master Potiphar. Two, she was a married woman. And three, he did not want to sin against Elohim. Look at Joseph's strong convictions. He asks a rhetorical question. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph understood well that lying with Potiphar's wife was not only a human crime of betrayal and adultery, but it was committing sin against God. And it's his fear of God that guarded him against this temptation. Now, Compare Joseph's obedience to God here in resisting sexual temptation with his brother Judah and Judah's disobedience earlier in Genesis chapter 38. Notice also Potiphar's wife's persistence. Passing off Joseph's refusal, Potiphar's wife continued to entice him to lie with her day after day. In fact, the text reads, she spoke to Joseph day after day. And each time, Joseph did not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. And note that the events from Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 to 10, it could easily have spanned over a period of 10 years. Potiphar's wife could have easily persisted with this enticement for 10 years. Well, let's look at the third section. Joseph's success leading to false accusation, verses 11 to 18. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. 
Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me and laughed at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. So here is scene three, the climactic scene. So we see that one day Joseph entered the house to work and Potiphar's wife was the only one present. And so taking advantage of the occasion, she grabs his cloak and pleads with him to come to bed with her. And terrified of having his integrity compromised, Joseph pulled away. And leaving his cloak in her hand, he runs out of the house. Now, so distraught that she had failed to seduce Joseph again, and seeing his cloak in her hand, Potiphar's wife instantly contrived a plan to humiliate Joseph. And so she summons her household servants in order to make them witnesses to her accusation against Joseph. Now, I think it's interesting to note here that the main descriptive identification of Joseph was his ethnicity. Potiphar's wife refers to Joseph as a Hebrew, and and she explains that it is this Hebrew who had come in to sleep with her. And so she screamed and he fled leaving his cloak beside her. By referring to Joseph as a Hebrew, she is emphasizing Joseph's alien status, hoping that prejudice against foreigners would help turn the servants against him. She portrayed Joseph as disrobing before her in order to force himself on her. She won the servants over by showing them Joseph's cloak and by defaming him with Rachel's slurs. This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. And her assertion that she had screamed, it was important because that supports that she did not comply with Joseph. And this can be cross-referenced with Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 25 to 27. So Potiphar's wife kept Joseph's cloak beside her to show her husband. And when Potiphar returned, she testifies against Joseph ridiculing Joseph's high standing by calling him a slave and a Hebrew. And she even implicated her husband, since it was he who brought in this slave. And she then cleared herself by emphasizing that she screamed for help, again, proving that she had not complied with Joseph. Well, let's take a closer look at the fourth and final scene, Joseph's success continuing in prison verses 19 to 23. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife had spoken to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So, on hearing his wife's report, Potiphar became very angry. 
Now, let's be clear that the text actually doesn't explicitly say why Potiphar was angry. I mean, one Jewish commentator suggests that he may have even been angry at the whole situation that forced him to lose the best attendant he had ever had. Potiphar takes immediate action against Joseph, however, and he puts Joseph in prison. Now, understand, the usual penalty for attempted rape is death. The fact that Potiphar didn't have Joseph executed showed that Potiphar still favored Joseph. And I think there's two possible reasons for this. First, Potiphar may not have fully believed his wife's accusation. And second, perhaps Joseph had defended himself and at least convinced or brought some doubt to Potiphar. Now, another note, throughout human history, God had used prisons for his purposes, both for the guilty and innocent. And in fact, in the New Testament, we remember that the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul were both thrown in prison. Joseph wasn't sent to just any prison, though. We learn in the next chapter that this prison was where Pharaoh's prisoners were confined. And this is a foreshadowing of the next phase in Joseph's providential journey, Pharaoh's court. Now, there are three things that we see about Yahweh God in verse 21. First, Yahweh remained with Joseph. That is, God never left Joseph. He was always there. Second, Yahweh showed Joseph steadfast love. And the term steadfast love comes from the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed is used 244 times in the Old Testament. And in fact, one of the most important themes in the book of Ruth is to explain and illustrate the concept of Hesed love. And in the Jacob and Joseph narrative here in Genesis, uh, the word Hesed is used four times. Genesis chapter 32, verse 10, chapter 39, verse 21, chapter 40, verse 14, and chapter 47, verse 29. Back in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob prayed, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. That word steadfast love is the word hesed. The third thing we see about Yahweh is that Yahweh gave Joseph favor. And the word favor comes from the Hebrew word hen. This is first stated in verse 4, when Joseph found favor, that is hen, with Potiphar. And this same Hebrew word is used again when Joseph found favor, hen, with the keeper of the prison. But we understand that this favor is God-given. So the Hebrew word hen can also be used to mean grace. So we see here in this final scene that the keeper of the prison, he puts Joseph in charge of all the prisoners and whatever that was done there. Joseph needed no supervision. And the parallel again between this final scene in prison and the first scene with Potiphar is eerily similar. So just like Potiphar, the keeper of the prison, delegates all power to Joseph. And just like in Potiphar's house, Joseph was successful 
in everything he did in the prison. Joseph will remain in this prison for at least one full year before we start the next scene in Genesis chapter 40. So again, to summarize, number one, Yahweh was with Joseph. In verse two, Yahweh was with Joseph. In verse three, his master saw that Yahweh was with Joseph. Verse 21, but Yahweh was with Joseph. And verse 23 again, because Yahweh was with Joseph. Second, Yahweh shows Joseph Hesed steadfast love. And three, Yahweh showed Joseph Hen, that is favor and grace. So God's presence, God's steadfast love, and God's grace remained with Joseph. So God's presence, steadfast love, and grace were with Joseph as a slave in Potiphar's house, amidst temptation by Potiphar's wife, when Joseph was falsely accused, and when Joseph remaining as an innocent man being thrown into prison. So based on this narrative in Genesis chapter 39, we can draw at least three practical truths. The first, God remains present, loving, and gracious, even in our worst circumstances. Two, obedience to God does not guarantee favor and success. In fact, obedience can sometimes bring more hardship. And three, no matter how bad things are, they can still get worse. For we see that Joseph goes from Potiphar's house to prison. And we may not understand God's purposes, because remember, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But even when our life gets difficult, like it was for Joseph, we can rest that God remains present, He is loving, and He is gracious, even in the worst of circumstances. Thanks for listening to Bible Sumo Weekly. For more information about me or this podcast, visit our website at biblesumo.com. In our next episode, we will continue our series in the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph, and we will follow Joseph's life in Pharaoh's prison. Follow our podcast and listen to our Bible studies each and every week here at Bible Sumo Weekly.